and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. If you hate notes, take some notes anyways. All right, everybody, I'll convince you one of these days. Uh, We're in part three of our Letter from Prison series. Uh, And so we've been looking kind of at the different books that Paul wrote, the letters he wrote while sitting in a prison cell, starting with the book of Philippians. And so you can imagine that this letter Paul is writing, you can imagine it could be about all kinds of things, but we studied this in week one and week two, that it's Paul writing about joy to the church in Philippi. And you would think Paul would need a letter about joy, but it's Paul writing out to the church about how to keep your joy up, no matter what might try to steal it. And so week number one, we looked at chapter one, we looked at circumstances of life that might try to steal our joy. Week number two, that was last week, we looked at people, because boy, they steal our joy as quickly as you can imagine. So we looked at that, you could check them out online if you'd like to. But we're going to continue in this series as Paul continues to teach us about joy. And I thought, what better way to have joy than to bring back an old tradition we haven't done in a few years around here. I want to show you some of my favorite church signs from around the country. You guys okay with that? We... It's been a little bit of a while, but I thought we'd bring a little bit of joy this morning. So these are church signs, whether they meant to or not, we enjoy them, all right? So we just, they put them out there. And you have noticed, we, we used to have one where we would put letters out here, and so we, we went through a lot of different renditions, but I don't think we ever reached the upper echelon that we will see today. So show me that first one. Here's our first church sign today, and I thought it's funny for our weather. Whoever's praying for snow, please stop. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I thought this one we go first, because we are finally... I think it's honestly, I think we're just, the weather's just teasing us. We're about to go back into the heat. But we have finally reached a little bit of cool, everybody. I thought that was funny. All right, next one. Here we go. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. Come on, somebody. (laughs) You know some well-meaning person was sitting there smiling, thinking, I'm going to reach some people. I'm going to just make their day. Uh, All right, all right, next one. Here we go. Bring your sin to the altar and drop it like it's hot. Here we go. That'll preach, everybody. We just, I, don't care. I don't care what you say. That's funny. That'll preach right there. All right, next one on there. Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. <laughs> I don't like the way you're laughing. <laughs> I thought we could laugh together at this one, but it doesn't feel like we're laughing together. That's just... <laughs> Here we go. This too shall pass. It might pass like a kidney stone, but it's going to pass. Come on. <laughs> I preach a whole sermon in a church sign. Like we just, that could be all it. Just go home. That's that Sunday for you guys, everybody. <laughs> all right. And the last one, God needs spiritual fruits, not religious nuts. Come on, somebody. <laughs> that cuts deep. Come on, somebody. That's a, that's me. I just preached the whole sermon. That's six points. You go home, everybody. You took notes. No, I thought we would have a little bit. But Paul is writing to church from prison. And let me just say this too. All of you, after I do this, usually you send me a bunch. Send me a bunch. We'll do this again, all right? Send me the ones of you. But Paul is writing to the church from prison. Paul's saying, keep your joy up. Paul's saying in the middle of circumstance, in the middle of whatever, keep your joy up. And so, like I said, week one in horrible circumstances, and Paul could talk about that. He says, keep your joy. Week two, he says, when people are backstabbing, when people are trying to get your head cut off, because Paul could speak to that. He said, keep your joy. And so now in week number three, you can turn in your Bibles, Philippians chapter three. Some of you have got the pattern already. Week three, chapter three. Paul's talking about, and he starts right off the bat in verse one. We'll look at this and we'll put it up on the screen if you don't have it with you. But chapter three, verse one, he says, whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And you'll notice in this verse, he's kind of setting up the next section. It says, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it. Watch this to safeguard your faith. So Paul is setting up where we're about to get into, and that is the pitfalls 
or the legality of piety. It's the trouble, or maybe, honestly, he's about to explain it, this, this thing that has crept into the early church, and honestly, we've never seemed to be able to shake it, is this idea of legalism. Now, we have tiptoed around it in chapters 1 and chapters 2, the last couple of weeks, but Paul's about to hit it right between the eyes. Paul's about to look at this idea of religiousness, the same way that circumstances steal your joy, same way that people can steal your joy. This idea of legality and legalism can steal the joy of following Christ just as fast. And so Paul's about to address this. We get caught in the rules. And honestly, we get caught up in trying to appease God under our own power instead of trying to know him more. And it brings us back. Honestly, it keeps us from knowing him because we get so caught up in the rules about it. Unfortunately, this is how Christians see the Christian life. They they see this as a way of trying under our own power to somehow appease a God instead of trying to know him more. And if I can be honest with you, it's how a lot of non-Christians see Christianity. Because they hear the word Christian and they think the Ten Commandments, they think thou shalt and thou shalt not. And they think all of these things about it. And honestly, that's just religion. They, don't, they never think of the God who wants them to seek him and to know him. They never think of a God who would love them more than they could possibly imagine. They don't think about it that way. They think about the rules and the legality of it. And that will steal joy faster than you can imagine. And honestly, it'll push people away faster than you can imagine. Because the God we serve our lives for loves us. The God we serve our lives for sent his son to die for us. But too many times we get caught up in the legalism, all of that. And honestly, it's not a bad thing to be a rule follower. That's not what I'm trying to say. But we can get so bent out of shape that it affects our relationship with Christ. And honestly, we can forget our relationship with Christ sometimes because we're so bent on the rules. So show of hands today, and this is not talking about Christianity. I just thought we would start out with a little bit of fun today. But show of hands, how many of you would say in life... In life, just in kind of general, how many would say, not, not Christianity, just kind of in general, I'm a pretty good rule follower. I can probably pretty do, I follow the laws, like speed limits are there for a reason. Come on, how many, I lost a lot of hands at the speed limits, all right. Aside from speed limits, how many would say, yeah, I follow, I follow most of the laws. Here we go, I'm pretty much a rule keeper. This is a good church, everybody, I like you people. I'm more of a rule stretcher myself. I'm not a rule breaker, but I like to stretch them. Come on, how many show of hands? I just like to, we like to bend them a little bit. There's this like gray area I like to live in between the speed limit and jail. Come on, somebody. There's just this little, there's just this, this nice little place we can all live. Uh, that's great to be. I, 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 it's kind of how I've always been. But now I have kids. And so that's kind of fixed me in a lot of areas because I don't know if you know this. So my wife, Alyssa and I, we have three small children at home. Our daughter, Hava, turned five yesterday. Come on, somebody. Pray for us. It's, it's a great, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome, awesome uh, season we're going to be in. But you can go ahead and pray. But our kids, honestly, I don't know if you know this. When you have kids, they start to call you out on your stuff. You're not a rule follower until you have kids and then they will keep you. You are the biggest hypocrite in the world. Come on, they can call you out on everything, anything and everything. And so my kids, they don't understand all the traffic laws, but they understand that red means stop and green means go. Come on, somebody. And yellow means hit the gas. That's what we believe in my... (laughs) You're learning, you're learning, you people. But they understand red means stop. And so they will call me out on if I don't stop and it is red or if it is green, green means go. It doesn't matter if eight of you doofuses are in front of me at the line and you're not going. I need to go. That's their idea. We scream and shout. And so my favorite, honestly, is right turn on red. I have tricked all three of them with that because they will they will call me out in a moment. It's like, aha, I am a criminal. Yes, I am turning right on red. And I introduce, but they keep, I don't think they're going to be rule followers either because they love to break the rules too. And so it's just a great, great thing we have going on. But I'm not saying that it's bad 
right to keep rules. I, I believe this is not the anarchist sermon that some of you crave. All right. That's not what I believe. They are the best way we have a society to keep our norms. But in Christianity, it is about the heart. In Christianity, it is about our relationship with Jesus. And too often times we get into this thing believing that. And we somehow work our way out of this thing trying to add all the rules to it. And I think this is as dangerous to a seasoned believer as it is to one who is new. Maybe more so to those who have been in the faith longer. Because we continue, as we go, we continue to convince ourselves there's got to be more to this. There's got to be more I can add. There's got to be something I can do. There's got to be more to this thing to make it go. And so honestly, I just want to preach a little bit today as Paul is talking us, he's kind of walking us through in chapter 3, this idea of the pitfalls of legalism. And he picks it up in verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs. Now pause there for just a moment because you would just think this is just, I don't know, Paul kind of just having some fun with things. This is a very important term he uses while he has fun with it. I love Paul's writings. Paul says, watch out for those dogs. The ones he's talking about are the Judaizers. And we talked a little bit about them in the last couple of months. But if you don't know who they are, these are these extreme religious, this, this sect of Christians believing in Jesus. But they are so religious in the way that they do it, they want to add every single law back in. And so they try to tell these people, they try to give this idea of this legalistic rule followers, that there are laws that go along with all this. That following laws is most important to them. And so Paul used this term, which I think is funny, because this term dogs is how they would refer to the non-Jewish, to the Gentiles. They would call them these dogs. This is the term he uses. So him calling that, I think it's just incredible because Paul had a lot of guts. Just slap in the face. So Paul says, watch out for the dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. So Paul's referring to the fact these people, they believed in Jesus. They believed in the faith, but they try to add all of these other things to it. Now, the same problem arose in Galatia. And so that's been our Bible reading uh, the last couple of weeks. If you read in the one-year Bible with us in the app or the printout, that Paul is writing to the Galatians and he's saying, you were free. Who is this trying to steal your freedom? Who are these people who are trying? Paul had to deal with the same problem with them. And so Philippians 3 is kind of like a mini Galatians that Paul is writing. As he's writing to them, he's saying you were free, but these dogs are saying, yeah, 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 you must accept Jesus as your Savior. Yeah, 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 that's great. That's how you get salvation. But you've got to do all of these other things as well. You gotta add all of, they were adding these things, these roadblocks to Christ. And they were putting these, these stumbling blocks in front of people, trying to get them. You have to do all of these other rules as well. And they were really honed in on this idea of circumcision, which didn't get them a lot of adult male followers. I'm just going to throw that out there. right? If you can imagine, I just cut the, cut the uh, gospel budget in half. And so they, were, they didn't have a lot of effectiveness, but man, they were turning people away by the thousands. And so they had this idea. So Paul writes, he says, you got to beware of those dogs. Those people who do evil mutilators. And watch this in the next verse. And he says that for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. So Paul is telling him, watch out for these legalistic religious folks. Watch out for these ones who are trying to add rules to your salvation. Who are trying to add things to what Christ has already done. And then he demonstrates what we ought not to become. He warns us and then he shows us what the pitfall is. He warns us what we shouldn't be. He warns us who to watch out for and how we should not be. And I think sometimes it's difficult, depending maybe on your upbringing or your nature towards this, that sometimes we get in the mindset of, I agree with everything, but I need the checklist. I need more rules to this. I need to follow those things. And it's got to be, I got to be the right thing. I got to do the right, I got to do all these things 
And we get caught up in that instead of our relationship with Christ. We get caught up in trying to appease God, trying to do what Christ already did for us. And we lose our relationship. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Because so many times I hear from people, and honestly, this is something you may have heard too, if you've ever witnessed to someone who's not saved. And so many times I hear from them that, yeah, it's, it's great. I, I agree. I need something. I need help or I need something. But once I get everything set, once I get everything in order, once I get everything right, then I can come to church. Or honestly, and it breaks my heart, I've had conversations with people who feel like I can't come because I have this, this, and this, and I don't know what they'd say about me. And I can't tell you, nothing breaks my heart more than that, but people think, well, I just, I've got to get it all set. I've got to get this thing all set, but that's religion. And you can jot it down this way if you're taking notes. Watch this. Religion says, if I do well, I can get to God. But Jesus says, if I can just get to God, I will be well. Religion and legalism says, if I, if I could just get it all together, then maybe I could somehow get to God. Jesus says, you get to God, and he helps you get it together. You get to God, and you bring your messed up self. None of us, I can assure you, I don't care what cloud you live on, none of us was perfect when we came to Jesus. And none of us is perfect even now. We are working towards something. Paul will talk about that in chapter 3. But too often times, we put that roadblock up. We are not perfect, but we make everybody else feel like they need to be to get to God. And Paul says, watch out for those dogs. Those dogs who are trying to put a roadblock in Galatians. Who is it that's bewitched you? Who has stolen? Who You were free. Who is trying to steal your freedom? It's a relationship. It's not about appeasing him. It's not about trying to appease under our own efforts. It's about a relationship with him. So Paul goes on, verse 3, he says, In response to these, we put no confidence in human effort. So watch this. So I could have confidence in my effort if anyone could. He's saying, if there was a way to do this rule thing to God, I would be the one to do it. So if there was a way to do this, if anyone had confidence, indeed, if others have reason, those dogs have reason for confidence, I have even more. Paul is about to set this up and just knock them right between the eyes. He's saying, these Judaizers, these dogs, I'm not just saying that they're wrong. I'm saying that I did it better than they did, and I know that they're wrong. He said, I put no confidence in human effort. He put zero. And I think sometimes we say that, but we still put a little bit. I think sometimes we say that, but we still feel like I can make some things happen. I can make some things go. I can do. We'll talk about that in a moment, about what power we're talking about. But he says, no confidence. He said, it's not by efforts, but relying what Christ has done in us. And he says, if anyone has confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about Paul, but if you don't, Paul was the elite of the elite. Paul was the top of the echelon. We're talking about the Judaizers. We're talking about the religious leaders of the time. Paul was the top. He was born a Jew. So he wasn't converted later, which was a big deal. Paul says, I was born a Jew. He says, I'm one of the elite tribes. I'm, I'm one of the Pharisees, one of the most strictest sect of following Judaism. I'm, I am the top of the top. Paul wasn't just a Pharisee. His father was a Pharisee. So he had this generational thing going Paul said, I, I kept the law. I had all these things, the most elite, the most, if ever there was one that these dogs would look up to, it would have been Paul. And he's about to say that and then turn this whole thing on its head. He said, I was achieving everything that they wanted to achieve. I, I, I did. So if this is you, if you say, well, I, I, I'm caught up in legalism. Or I think if I could just get a little, I know you're what you're saying, Pastor, but if I could just get a little better at it, Paul says, I was the best. And he's about to say how worthless it possibly. He goes on in verse 5, talk about all these things that they thought were important. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. 
I was a member of the Pharisees, the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so jealous, zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Without fault. Paul is saying, I did all of these things. He's saying, I, I did everything they thought. We learn, when we learn from this passage, honestly, what is most important to these Judaizers? And so I want to pull a couple of things that Paul is speaking from experience. Three things that Paul talks about in this that is so valuable to them that honestly, I think, trip us up more than almost anything else in our walk with Christ. And so he says, he talks about this and he says to be focused on this. Because honestly, what Paul is saying, once we get focused on this idea of legalism, of rule following, and suddenly we get focused on all of that, we suddenly become fixated on appearance. We start to focus too much on our outward appearance. Notice the first thing he talks about is circumcision. First thing they're fixated on is this outward religious symbol. It's this outward religious thing. And so oftentimes when we try to work our way to appeasing God, too oftentimes we get so fixated on our appearance on the outside. We, get, we have to look the right way. We have to act the right way. We need people to think about us in a good way. And then we feel like we have fulfilled what we need to do to appease God. And we think if we can just get the outside look, doesn't matter what's happening on the inside. If we can just get the outside, the facade, then maybe we'll be accepted. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you look great on the outside. There is death within. There's death. And too many times we fixate on the outside. Too many times we think, how do I look? And it can be exhausting to put the appearance on. Can I just set some of you free today? You try to put that appearance. You try to look good for everybody else and it will exhaust you. I get exhausted just reading Paul's list. Paul's like, I did all these things. I did this and this and this. And you get out of breath just reading it. And Paul's like, I did all of those things. I looked right. Because when you look to look right, the second thing you start to do is then you try to impress others. So we try to put on the facade. And this other thing we attempt to is we try to impress other people. And honestly, we try to impress the wrong people. We try to just think, if, if I can just get people to like me. Not only Paul have the appearance of religiosity. But then he says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was of this this distinct tribe. I I was a Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is an impressive man. But when we focus on religion, we get so sidetracked by trying to impress everybody around us. And we lose so much time getting that. uh, We get our hearts focused on being the person. We puff out our chest. We pretend like we're someone we're not. We do all of these things running around trying to get people that don't even matter to like us. And we will sidetrack our faith and our relationship with Christ to try to win over people. Because we think salvation lies in that. We put our priority into impressing people. We do everything we can to try to impress others. And guys are really bad at this, if I can just be honest with you. It's just like hardwired into us. Not just Christianity. We just, we just have this thing about impressing other people around us. I bet if you ask any guy in this place, I can... 100% I say they have done a stupid thing in their life to impress a girl. Come on, somebody. Like they have done, they have done something. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old. Young, you're jumping off the monkey bars. You're old, you're jumping off a cliff. Like there's just, we just, it does not matter. We have done some, some dumb things to impress girls in our life. Just something inside of us that said, I got to impress others. And that's not what this sermon is about. But one time I mucked out six horse stalls, everybody, trying to impress a girl. It was just amazing. It did not work. It did not. And one time I ended up on a plane to Europe. Come on, somebody. Just, I think that one cured me. I think that, that cured me. I stopped trying to impress others before I ended up going to the moon or something. It just, I just, but we have this thing inside of us, this, this drive to impress others. We have this, this, I don't know what it is, but too often times we let it derail our relationship with Christ because we're so fixated on what others think about us. 
And we'll try to scrub the outside so clean, but there's death inside. And it's about our relationship with Jesus. And when we do that, when we try to become these perfect people and we try to become these perfections, just bent on that, we become number three. We try to do the wrong things perfectly. When we get so lost in our past, so lost in our relationships, so trying to strive for others' approval, we do the wrong things and we try to do them perfectly. We waste so much energy and time trying to do those things. In verse 6, Paul talks about the right things that he did. The things that these people saw as valuable. He obeyed the law without fault. How exhausting that is to obey the law without fault. I, just, I think we skip over that verse sometimes. Paul did everything he could. I think so many times we get caught up in being perfect. We get caught up in trying to do all of these things. That's not what the Christian life is about. It's about our relationship with Jesus. It's about trying to know God more. We get so, it's good to be a rule follower. It's not good when that's what all our life is about. That's not joy. It's not joy. And so we get to this place, we're trying to be the right person, trying to look the right way, trying to example whatever it is, and we're setting ourselves up for failure. In Romans 3, chapter 23, verse 23, you know this verse says, For everyone has sinned. And watch this, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Paul understands this. He understands that all of us have sinned. All of us fall short. And what happens is when we set ourselves up thinking, if I could just be perfect, if I could just impress enough people, if I could just say the right things, if I could just do, if my life would just look a certain way on the outside, then I could be perfect and I could live up to it. But Paul is saying, no, no, we all fall short of a standard. All of us fall short. All of us are not good enough. All of us set ourselves up for failure when we pursue this. And so listen to me. If Paul was not good enough, I certainly am not good enough. If all the things Paul has just listed here, because sometimes we think that's good for Paul, but I think I could do it. Listen to me. If Paul could not do it, we cannot do it. We would not be able to do it. And so we set ourselves up and then we feel like I have failed God. We feel like if, if I don't do it, then suddenly I can't even approach him because I have failed him in so many ways. And so I know I'm not perfect. And so I can't go to God. I would remind you that religion says you got to get it all together. Jesus says, get to God and he will heal you. Get to God and he will lift you. Get to God and he will bring you to life. It's our relationship with Jesus. And too many times we get so hung up on the legalism or even worse, we stop someone else because of our own legalism. We set up roadblocks to others. And I promise you, church, that is not where you want to be between God and someone else who needs him. And too often times we set ourselves up between. We set ourselves up as a roadblock. If we get to God, he'll make us righteous through the blood of the cross. Paul says it's what Christ has done for us. And he continues in this back to our text, verse seven. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. I once were like some of you and thought they were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. All those things he just listed, obey the law without fault, pure-blooded Hebrew, circumcision, all these things that he's saying that the Judaizers seem so bent upon. He said, I did all those things. And he said, I thought these things were, were worthful. I thought they were. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Watch this, for his sake, for his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Counting all of it, not just, oh, it's, it's helpful in some situations. Oh, it's kind of nice to have on the side as a backup plan. Oh, it's, it's what I did, but I just kind of set it up on it. He said, no, counting it as garbage so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. God's way, it can't be any plan. God's way of making us right with him comes through faith. 
It's not what we have done under our own power. It's what Christ has done for us. We have to recognize it's not because of what we do, but what Christ has done for us. It's not because of our works. It's because of what Christ has done. He starts the chapter, rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in your own strength. Don't rejoice in your own ability. Don't rejoice in your list of deeds. Don't rejoice in your possessions. Don't rejoice in how you look good to people around you. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the hope we have in Christ. Paul is saying, I count it garbage in light of knowing Christ. So if we're going to avoid the pitfalls of a legalistic life, if we're going to know, I think there's a couple of questions we need to ask ourselves. If we're going to avoid this pitfall of piety. If we're going to avoid legalism. A couple of questions we have to ask. First thing we ask when we're trying to avoid the trap of religion, first thing is ask ourselves, what power? What power? In other words, what power are we depending on? Now listen to me, church. Not what power do we say we're depending on. I don't care what you say. What power do we actually depend on in our lives? Who do we lean on in order to get through the things that we are going through? Who do we lean on in circumstances week one when people attack us in week two, in week three? Who are we actually claiming? Who is we actually living out as the power in our lives? What power? What power do we have? What power am I leaning on in these trials of the faith? And Paul answers that in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Malcolm read this, this chapter in our prayer time today. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power that raised him from the dead. I don't want to lean on my own power. Can I tell you, your power is a bad... If you lean on your own power, good luck to you, everybody. Because I have tried that. I, I assure you, most of you, if you have walked with Christ, you have tried it to lean on yourself. And it does not work every time. Every single time. We have to understand what power are we leaning on. I want to lean on the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power the Bible says now lives in you. That same power that raised him. And we talked about this... Last week, that God has not asked us to do anything that he has not empowered us to do. And that is true, but it sounds dangerously close to a cliche you will hear sometimes that God will never give you more than you can handle. I disagree with that, everybody. I think there are several times in my life alone that I've walked through things that I cannot handle. And I think the true, it's true for you guys as well. There are things we walk through that we are not able to handle, but he will never give us more than he can handle. The power inside of us that we lean on, it will never be more than the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us can handle. He has given us the power they need to empower us to do what he has called us to do on this earth. That God has called us to that. But too many times we lean on ourselves. Too many times we trust, oh, I can make some things go. I can get some stuff to go in. But listen to me. Listen to me. We have to rely on Christ. It's the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And Paul continues on. We read this earlier. He says, I want to suffer with him. Sharing in his death. So one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I want that power inside of me. I think it's interesting he says suffer there. I think sometimes we think, okay, if I get this right and then I lean on the Holy Spirit power, then things will start to, everything will go right. Then it will be easy. No, Paul says, I, I still lean on that power. He says, that's the power that gets us through. But he says, I want to suffer with Christ. That it's going to cost us some things. That you want to live this life, this relationship with him. You want to have this power inside of you. It's going to cost us some things. And so Paul's saying, we need to walk through that. Truth is, we're going to suffer. The truth is, we have been called to this life for the gospel. We're going to walk through some stuff. But it's the power inside of us, not only to endure, not only to walk through it. And this is what Paul's idea behind this whole letter. That not only is the Holy Spirit inside of us, empowering us to live the life he's called us to live, to walk through horrible circumstances, to walk through horrible back betrayal by other people, to walk through all of these things, but then to keep our joy in the midst of it. Paul brings this all back around, and it's to keep our joy in the midst of the power the Holy Spirit gives us, not just to endure, 
but to have joy in the midst. And that's incredible. It's incredible that we have been called to that. It's one thing to endure. It's another thing entirely to have that joy in the middle of it. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul echoes that in another letter that he writes in chapter 8, verse 11 of Romans. He says this, said, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. It lives inside of you. It's the Spirit of God, the same Spirit, leaning on it. We can avoid the pitfalls of religion. Asking ourselves what power. Second thing, jot it down if you're taking notes, then ask ourselves what purpose. So what purpose? What purpose is it for? Because I can believe that God can do great things in my life. I can believe, and I honestly, I'll die on this hill. I believe God has a purpose for every single one of us. That God has a plan for our lives. But the idea then is what purpose are we pursuing? Leaning on his power. But the truth oftentimes is we miss the mark. God has a purpose for us. God does incredible things for our lives. But so oftentimes we still fall. And if we are so wrapped up in legalism, if we are so wrapped up in religious, we will let that knock us out of the race because we'll think I have failed. And that's all there is. We'll think I I messed up and that's all there is. No, when we're leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit, then we ask ourselves, what purpose has he called us to? We're still going to fall. We're still going to come up short. And Paul says this. He admits, I've missed the mark. Paul says, I haven't achieved it yet. Watch this verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Paul said, I, I haven't done it 100%. Well, he said, I haven't, I haven't achieved perfection. I know that what I'm telling you, I rely on the Holy Spirit's power. I know what I'm telling you, I treat it all as garbage, what's behind. He said, I know I haven't achieved it yet. But then he says this, I don't do it right 100% of the time, but I press on. I don't do it right 100%, but I press on. I fall, but I press on. I fail several, several times, but I press on. He said, I've done these things, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. I haven't done it yet. He says, I understand it. I know what power lives inside of me. He says, I understand it. I know what I am living for. I treat all of that as God. He said, but I haven't got it yet, but I press on. I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race. Paul says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Listen to me, church. I don't care what you have done. There is redemption for your past and there is a purpose for your future. Paul says, I I know I haven't done it. Paul says, I know I haven't achieved it. He said, but I press on. He said, I know I fall, but I press on. He said, I know I, I get it wrong sometimes, but I press on. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. There is redemption for your past. There is a purpose for your future. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race, to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. You read Paul's writings. I love Paul. He says, I once was, but now Jesus has done this. All throughout his life, I once was this, but now Jesus. I once was that, but now Jesus. I fell in this, but now Jesus. Paul is saying, I, I know I haven't done it, but I press on. I know I haven't done it, but I don't let my failures take me out of the race. I press on. He said, I I know I've messed up, but I don't let what people think about me kick me out of this. I know God has a purpose for my life, so I press on. Paul is saying, I press on to reach the end of the race. I've missed the mark, and we are going to miss the mark, everybody, frequently. I don't don't care what, what heavenly cloud or harp you strum throughout the week. We are going to miss the mark. We will do it frequently, but our purpose isn't to never fall down. Our purpose is to get back up and continue the race. Our purpose isn't to let these things that mess us up because we are human and we understand that. But we press on. We press on to complete the race that Christ Jesus is calling us. 
that there is a purpose for your life. And I don't care what you have done. I promise you God has a purpose for you. And it is never too late to become who God has called you to be. That he has a purpose for your life. And we have been called. You have been called. And so it's our relationship with him. What power. Paul says, I press on. Then in verse 17, he says this. He says, we have a purpose. He says, we, we press on to reach the call. And I would promise you have a purpose in this life. If nothing else, we as a church have a purpose to reach the lost with the gospel. We have been called. And then verse 17, watch what he says. He says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again, it's crucial with tears in my eyes. Remember, Paul is writing from prison. Paul is sitting there in chains writing this letter. And he's saying, I'm warning you, brothers and sisters. He says, I know I'm shackled up. I know that I've got these, these chains. I know that I, I've lost my freedom. I know all of this, but I am writing to warn you. He was sitting there in Philippi. He says, watch this. There are those whose conduct shows they're really enemies of the cross. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. If we're going to avoid this pit trap, this trap of religiosity, final question we have to ask ourselves then is what place? What place are we focused on? Because Paul is writing with tears in his eyes, I think because there are so many Christians in the church he's writing to that he's talking about. There's so many that he's saying they they have the right outside, but they have actually shown by their conduct to be enemies of the cross of Christ. They look like Christians, but inside they are dead. Inside they are enemies of the cross. He says their God is their appetite and they are so fixated on this earth. So the question we ask ourselves then is what place? What place are we fixated on? And Paul answers that in verse 20 as we close. He says that we are citizens of heaven says there are those who are fixated on earth. There are those whose God is their appetite. There are those who have shown themselves to be enemies of the cross of Christ. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Paul is saying this to a church in Philippi. And honestly, I love this book of Philippians because he's writing this to the church in Philippi. Philippi was a unique culture. They were Roman citizens. So Paul writes a lot of letters to a lot of different churches in a lot of different uh, seasons of life, a lot of different environments of culture. But he's writing this one to Philippi. And they're Romans. A lot of stuff comes along with Roman citizenship. And Paul knew that. He had Roman citizenship. A lot of prosperity and protection. A lot of things that come along with being a Roman citizen. A lot of freedoms. And Paul said, forget all of that. He said, there are those who treat that as something He says, forget all of that. We are citizens of heaven. And so this church in Philippi probably would have been difficult to write this letter to. Because Paul is not in a position to to say these kinds of things to him. Paul's the one in prison. They're the ones who are free. And Paul is saying, there are those among you enemies of the cross of Christ. We are citizens of heaven. And Paul is almost saying, this is what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. To keep our joy in every circumstance. And he's saying, forget all of that. I know you've got all those things. That's great. And we'll talk about that next week. But he says, forget all of that. He says, we're pressing on. How much greater is our heavenly citizenship? A lot of stuff comes along with their citizenship in Philippi. He says, forget all of that. Listen to me, everybody. Baton Rouge is great. Heaven is better. I don't know if you understand that. We got a lot of great seafood in Louisiana. Got some Sunny's barbecue. We got all those things. Listen to me. Heaven is better. 
And so he's writing, and I think sometimes it can be a hard lesson to hear in Philippi. It can be a hard lesson to hear in America because we have it really, really good. But heaven is better. It's better by far. And Paul is saying at the end of the day, if we know him, if we press into him, if we know Jesus, that we're citizens of heaven, that we eagerly await our Savior from there, that we don't set our eyes on this earth, that we set our eyes on eternity. So what place are we fixated on? Because listen to me, when we get this idea, when we actually understand we are citizens of heaven, it doesn't matter what life looks like on this earth. It doesn't matter if we're persecuted. It doesn't matter if we're looked down on. It doesn't matter if we're made fun of or if we're marginalized. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people do to us. It doesn't matter what they take away. It doesn't matter what they say about us. We are citizens of another place. And we are waiting our Savior, Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Father, I thank you. I thank you that the victory has already been won at the cross of Calvary. I thank you that we can set our eyes on you. I thank you for the relationship we have with Jesus, that you have washed us clean. I thank you that it's not because of our works. Lord, all of us together collectively thank you that it's not because of what we have done, but what Christ has done for us. That we were lost in our sins. No way we could have done it, but you saved us. You saved us. That we were messed up. That we were enemies of the cross. But you saved us. And so church today. I just want to pray. As we bow our heads. I just want to pray. That we would be able to shake off. This idea of legalism. This idea. These pitfalls of piety. This idea that somehow on our efforts. We would appease God. And we would accept what Jesus has done for us. I want to pray. That we could shake that off. We wouldn't be enslaved. To what others think of us. Before we pray that, though, I want to make an invitation to those of you that maybe you're here right now. Maybe you're watching online and you're saying, that all sounds great. I I like the sound of freedom. I would love to have that, but I am so far away from Jesus, you would not even believe. Listen to me. I don't care how far you've run from him. I don't care what you've done. Listen to me. Jesus loves you and he wants you. And you might have been told a thousand times in your life that God could never love a person like you. You might feel like, I just, I got to get some things right. You might feel like you have run so far from him. But remember, you don't get it together to get to God. You get to God to get it together. Jesus loves you. He wants you. And so right now, if that's you, right now you say, I'm so far from him. And maybe you've never heard that before. God loves you and he wants you just the way that you are. Every single person sitting around you right now, every single one of us was broken and messed up. All of us have screwed up. All of us have sinned against God. All of us. And so this morning, there's just some of us who have run to the cross faster than others, but it is open to every single one of us. The Bible says that Jesus died in our place, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead that anyone could call on his name and be saved. That includes you. And so right now, it'd be my honor to pray with you. You say, I want to be set free. I want to give my life to him. I want my assurance in heaven to be secure. You say, that's me right now. It starts with a prayer of salvation. With relying on what Jesus has done for you. It would be my honor to pray that with you. In our church, we have dedicated ourselves to pray with every single person who wants to pray that prayer. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm not going to take you to a side room after service. This is about you and Jesus. And right now, you can be set free. 
Right now, you can accept what he did for you on the cross. Right now, with a simple prayer. So all of our church, we're going to pray this with you. If you want that, right now, with your head bowed, say these words. If that's you, say it right now. Say, Jesus, save me. I repent of all of my sins, all my mistakes. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, right now, I pray for all of us, God. For our church, Lord, as one body, I pray against the spirit of legalism. I pray against this spirit, God. The spirit of religion, God. I pray against these things that would try to steal the joy of our salvation, God. We want to be people marked by knowing you. We want to be people marked by our relationship with Jesus. Lord, not under our own power, under our own strength, but God, we believe and we have accepted what Christ has done on the cross and it washes us clean once and for all. So Lord, right now we accept. God, right now we pursue a relationship. Right now we get as close as we can to you. We believe it and we give you all of the glory and all of the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today?